Well, first of all, what a privilege it is for you, for me, to be here, to be celebrating on Easter Sunday. Welcome. If you're part of the Hope Point family, it's fantastic to see you again. If you're friends of the Hope Point family, we just want to extend a massive welcome to you, and we hope that you really will enjoy yourself today. But as we continue our worship this morning, we're going to reflect a little bit on the life of Jesus And as you can see on the screen, the topic for today is for the joy set before him. Hebrews 12 verse 2 reads, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, recently I heard a song composed by Matt Crocker and published by Hillsong United. I want to read the lyrics to you because I think it so beautifully captures this whole Easter story. They called for Barabbas, a king for a thief, parading your kindness like rags through the streets, draped with the weight of the world on your shoulders, as you climb that hill, a burden far too great for flesh and bone to bear, you stretched out your arms as you welcomed those Roman nails, your body frail, the very hands that shaped the world hung up to bleed, lifted on high crucified him who knew no sin, the Nazarene, the son of man, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, given to die. What you rent through to love me, I'll never understand. What blows my mind away is you love me as I am. That is the message of the gospel, that Jesus came to die for us as we are, where we are this moment in time, wherever we find ourselves today, Jesus died for us. Not when we're perfect, not when we've made no mistakes in our life, but as we are. You know, I find it fascinating that our Christian faith, the crux of our Christian faith, is all about the events that happened on that Easter Friday through to Easter Monday, or Easter Sunday. You know, we call it Good Friday, and isn't it fascinating? We call it Good Friday, but that's the day that Jesus was murdered. That's the day that we killed God. There's a German um, philosophist, I don't even know if that's a word, <laughs> uh, philosopher, that's the word I'm looking for, a German philosopher by the name of Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche. And what Nietzsche was famous for was saying that God is dead. We killed God and he remains dead. And even though I believe that Nietzsche missed the mark, at least one aspect of what he's saying is true. It was our sin that held Jesus on the cross as the Romans drove thick nails through his arms and legs. It was our sin that held him there. But praise God, we know that is not the end of the story. You know, all through, our Christian, uh, through the Bible, we see this great paradox between the world of the natural or th how things appear to be and, and when they're faced with a higher kingdom culture, they seem to be flipped on its head. You know, for instance, 
Science would tell us, nature would tell us, survival of the fears. Do whatever you need to do to get ahead. If that means that you need to step on a few people to get where you're going, that's fine. But the Bible says, the least will be the greatest. The last will be first. Another principle is revenge, is a dish best served cold. If someone's wronged you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if someone sins against you, that we should forgive them, that we should in fact pray for those people who persecute us, that we should love our enemy. See the complete different perspective that's happening here. And you know, here on Good Friday, on Blessed Good Friday, when God seemed defeated, when he was nailed to a cross, bleeding and dying, he won the most significant victory in the whole history of humankind. At that moment, you could say at his darkest moment, he was at his most glorious. And God was at his most glorified. Even though we kill God, he is dead no longer. He is arisen and his ultimate sacrifice paid for our sins. God is clothed in splendor because of what Jesus did on Good Friday. If you have your Bible with you this afternoon, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews and and focusing particularly on chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So feel free to turn to that passage for me. I might just give you a quick bit of context about this book of Hebrews and this passage that we're about to read. Although we're not sure of who the author is, the author of Hebrews is unknown. Many would say that it was the Apostle Paul because it follows his style of writing and he refers to Timothy in there as well. But nonetheless, regardless of who the author of this text is, it's a letter written to a Christian Jewish community. And what the letter is doing is challenging these people to remember who Jesus is, what his ultimate sacrifice is, and that he redeemed us through what he had done. And I think there are probably three groups of people that are being addressed in this particular passage that we're going to talk about today. And the first group of people, they might be people who have come to accept the gospel as truth, who've come to accept the three gift of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And then there's another group of people, they, they accept the gospel, but they add their old ways of doing things, the old sacrifice, the old religion, and they cling on to that. And then there's a third group of people, the people who may or may not have seen God's goodness but are yet to fully experience the gospel, are yet fully to see the gospel story and what Jesus has done for them. And you know, I would argue that today maybe there are those three types of people sitting in this church auditorium as well. And so let us read here from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, this afternoon as we come to celebrate the Easter story, I believe that we are indeed surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses as all of heaven declares the majesty of God. As we sung just a few minutes ago, all hell King Jesus, all of creation declaring his majesty. And even though that is a significant encouragement for us, that we are not alone in declaring that he is King and Lord of Lords, our focus today actually comes from verse 2. And I'll read it again for you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. Let me ask you this. What could possibly possess a man to sacrifice his life, knowing, willingly, going to um, grievous bodily um, torture, going willingly to a, a horrendous execution, one of the worst executions known to man, being hung on the Roman cross where you slowly suffocate to death. What would possess a man to do something like this? To be humiliated in front of his disciples, in front of his mother. What would cause someone to do that? Well, C.S. Lewis provides an apt reflection on the personhood of Jesus. This is what he says. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Jesus himself posed this question when he was talking to his disciples, as recorded in Matthew's account of the gospel, chapter 16, verse 13 to 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others yet Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon, Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you through flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And that is my prayer this morning, that we would get the revelation that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did for us. But the decision remains with us. It's what we do with that this morning. Who do we say Jesus is? If we agree that he is, in fact, the Son of God, Emmanuel, our ransom, 
our redemption, then what was this joy that was set before him so that he would go through with the horrors of being crucified? To explore this further, I want to look at a couple of passages from the Gospels and look at how Jesus interacted with people because I think that's key for us in this whole picture. You know, in Luke 19, Jesus found himself in a situation where he had to break the cultural norms of the day because he went to spend time with a tax collector, which was not the done thing. And despite the murmuring and the muttering of the people and the crowds, Jesus stepped out and did something that changed Zacchaeus' life forever. He went and had dinner at his house. In John chapter 11, Jesus risked his life when he heard that a friend of his, Lazarus, was, was deadly sick. He was on his deathbed. He left and went through to Judea, where previously they had tried to stone him. But in this instant, Jesus showed tremendous compassion for people. And upon arriving, he found out that Lazarus, who was sick, had in fact died. And being overwhelmed with the emotion and, and, and the, the pain of the people around him, the Bible says that Jesus wept. And in verse 34 of chapter 11 of John, we read, Then the Jews said, these were the very people who tried to stone him earlier, See how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus, that he would risk his life to come in his time of dire need. Then in John 8, Jesus did not condemn the woman who was caught in adultery, yet he showed wisdom and once again tremendous compassion in the situation where the Pharisees had brought this woman and the teachers of the law and they wanted to try and catch Jesus out. They wanted him to try and show mercy so that they can say that he had broken the law or that he doesn't follow the law, but yet Jesus showed compassion to this woman and what he did literally saved her life. John 8, 10, verse 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said these beautiful words. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Could it be just maybe that Jesus is speaking those words over us? This morning? Could it be that maybe Jesus is wanting to reveal this magnificent, life giving truth? You know, at times when there's no one left to accuse us, we find ourselves being the ones who condemn ourselves for the things that we've done, for the things that we failed at, for the thoughts that we've had. But here we read the truth Jesus does not. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Someone in this place needs to hear those words this afternoon. Someone needs to hear that even though their guilt might be chasing them into the shadows, even though their moments might be haunted by some of the decisions that they have made, there is redemption and His name is Jesus. That takes us to John chapter 21. A fascinating encounter here between Jesus and Peter. The man who'd not just a mere few days beforehand betrayed him in his moment of desperate need. 
We don't have time to read through this entire passage this morning, but let me encourage you, if you ever have a moment, take time to read through John chapter 21 and just meditate on what is happening in the situation because it is truly fascinating. The juxtaposition here in the encounter, when viewed in context, blew my mind. See, remember, if we go a little bit earlier, when Jesus first encountered Peter, where was he? He was on the Sea of Galilee doing exactly the same thing as that he was doing in this situation. He was fishing. And even though he was, he's meant to be a fisherman by profession, he wasn't very good at it because obviously he wasn't catching any fish until Jesus intervened. And so we read there in verse 4, Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw out your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. I just love this. Doesn't this point to the, uh, such a beautiful picture to the humanity of Jesus? He, I could just imagine him standing on the shore. Right? He's thinking, This is exactly where I found these bunch of guys before I changed their life. This is exactly why I found them before we spent three years together raising the, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, capturing a glimpse of heaven, and yet here we find these guys in the exact same spot, back on the Sea of Galilee. You know, I can almost hear the, the humor in Jesus' voice. Hey guys, how about you try and throw the net on the other side? And even at that point, it, it doesn't even click with them. Even though the situation's exactly the same. It's only after they start hauling in this, this massive load of fish, they can't even haul onto the boat, when one of them clues on and thinks, hang on, the situation's happened. Hey, is that Jesus? But I love that he chose this moment to reveal himself. It's almost like the story had gone full circle here calling them to be his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and here again calling them and reinforcing the calling that he had upon these men's lives back in the very same spot. It's, it's just poetic. But how does this relate to our passage of Hebrews, 2, Hebrews 12 verse 2? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, although these disciples had given up on Jesus, although there might be some of us in this room today who have given up on Jesus, and you might only be here because it's Easter Sunday and we might as well go to church one day a year, God has not given up on you. God did not give up on his disciples. He had come to claim his bride. He had come to claim his prize. See, we are the joy that was set before him. Peter, John, his disciples was the joy that set before him. They were the end goal. They were the prize for Jesus to sacrifice his life so that we could be in right standing in relationship with him. And I, and I love the demonstration of forgiveness as, as Jesus is conversating, as, he, as he's speaking to Peter. Listen here. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? 
Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. It was only a couple of days beforehand where someone else asked Peter three questions. And three times he denied Jesus. The irony of the situation is not lost on me. This is Jesus' compassion and forgiveness at work. Showing Peter that despite of his weakness, he had a plan and a purpose for his life. Showing Peter despite of his lack of faith, he would use him to build his church. It's the same message for us. It's the same message that God would tell us. Despite our fears, despite our faults, despite the sin that so easily entraps us, he is not done with us yet. We are the joy set before him. My testimony is one that I've shared here a few times before. But I cannot think about Easter without it coming flooding back. See, there was a time in my life where I'd seen the goodness of God. There'd been a time in my life where I was involved in church and I was going regularly. In fact, I was involved in youth ministry, but my faith was a fake. My faith was based on other people's expectations and trying to earn God's approval for my life. But no matter what I did, I could never achieve it. I could never get His approval, in my opinion. No matter how hard I tried, I always fell short. And so I found myself outside a church one evening, driven to my knees in prayer by desperate life situations. And I remember looking out at the starry host, declaring, God, if you want me, you need to show me this is real, because I am done. I'm done with trying to do what I need to do to get your approval. It's not working. I can't keep going like this. You need to do something or you're about to lose me. And as I was shouting out into the heavens, I was transported. I was taken to a place. It it, it was like a a moment in time where everything just froze. And and there's only been a couple of times in my life where God has spoken so profoundly to me. But in one moment, I was shouting angry at God. And the next moment, I was standing in front of the tomb. And you know, there was nothing remarkable about this tomb apart from the fact that somehow I knew it it was a Jewish tomb carved into a hillside there was no embroidery there was no gold there was there was no guards it was just a tomb but it had one significant distinguishable feature and it was a huge round heavy stone rolled away to one side and as I gazed upon this scene I don't know if I was there for seconds or hours. I could honestly not tell you, but what I heard was the audible voice from heaven, four words that have changed my life forever. He is not here. The tomb was empty and I saw it with my own eyes. That's how I knew it was real. That's how I knew that the whole story of the gospel of Jesus hanging on the cross for my sins meant something. It happened. He is not there. The tomb is empty. And I will never be the same after witnessing that. What is the joy that was set before Jesus to endure the horrors of the cross? It was that his lost children, the lost sheep, could come back 
into relationship with him. So that we can live a life of purpose. So that we can have a life of victory. And we can live in a life of freedom. I was the joy set before Jesus. You are the joy that was set before Jesus. And let me tell you, if he came down to it, he would do it again. On this Easter Sunday, on a day of resurrection, I would like you to come and see, to ask Heavenly Father to show you the tomb. Ask Jesus to show you the nail pierced hands and feet. For me, it's what it took. It asks for me to say, God, you need to show me or I'm done. But he's extending that same opportunity for you. If we could just get the keys to come up. Thank you. Very shortly, we're going to have a fantastic afternoon. We've got activities planned outside. I can almost smell the burgers, but I don't want us to lose this moment. It's no mistake that we're here this moment. And I believe that God wants to do something in and for us today. Can I encourage you? Can you step out of your comfort zone and maybe be brave? There might be some of us here who a very long time ago in our life had an experience with the person of Jesus. It could be that your story is something similar to mine. Maybe you had an encounter in a moment of prayer where God revealed His mercy to you. But that seems all so long ago. It could be that you're sitting here today and you, you're like, what, what is this guy smoking? What is he on about? Like, who is, who is this person, Jesus? Are you having imaginary visions and stuff? Maybe stop, stop smoking stuff. Maybe that, that's, that's what you're thinking. But I want to encourage you that if you come, if you see with your own eyes, there is nothing that the world can throw at you that will shake you. And so what we're going to do, in a moment I'm going to pray, and if you feel led, I want to give you an opportunity. There's other people here that want to pray with you, but we want to, we want to see people have an encounter with Jesus this morning. We're going to open up the front and you can come down. There's no pressure. But if you like to, there's a space here where you can ask God, show me. If you're real God, I just want to see. Show me the empty tomb. Show me the hands and the feet. So as I pray, if that's you this morning, feel free to come up. I'd love to pray with you. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're a merciful Father. That here on Easter Sunday, we can reflect and remember on the great sacrifice that you made for us. And God, there might be some of us this morning who are longing for that personal encounter with you. Some of us, God, who, who it's been such a long time since we've had that personal touch. God, we pray that you would open our eyes. Jesus, that you would just reveal yourself to us. Take us to the tomb, God. Take us to the tomb to see that it is empty because you are risen, you are resurrected, and we are resurrected with you. God, there might be some of us this morning who have a knock on our heart, and we don't quite know what to make of it. We haven't felt this way before, but it's the Holy Spirit 
tapping on our hearts. God, give us the courage to say yes. I don't even know what it looks like to be a Christian, but all I know is that Jesus is calling. God, if that's someone here this morning, I pray that you give them the courage. God, to say, show me. Jesus, show me. Show me who you are. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you take broken people and make us whole. Thank you, God.